Welcome to another episode of the Cardiac Exchange by Medtronic. Please enjoy today's episode. Welcome to our podcast on lifetime management for patients who underwent surgical aortic valve replacement or transcatheter valve replacement. This episode is specifically designed for healthcare professionals who are involved in the care of these patients. We are very privileged to have with us three distinguished panelists who are experts in the field of cardiac surgery and interventional cardiology. Our first panelist is Dr. Michael Reardon, a renowned cardiac surgeon from Houston Methodist Hospital and also a pioneer in transcatheter interventions. Our second panelist is Dr. Bradley Leschnauer, a highly experienced cardiac surgeon from Emory in Atlanta, who specializes in complex cardiac valve repair and replacement procedures. And our third panelist is Dr. Sachin Gol, the Medical Director of Structural Heart Interventions at Methodist, Houston Methodist Hospital, who has extensive experience in transcatheter valve replacement procedures. Together, they will share their knowledge and expertise on the management of patients who undergo surgical aortic valve replacement or transcatheter valve replacement, including the latest advances in treatment options, post-operative care, and long-term management strategies. So let's dive in and learn more about this important topic. Maybe start with uh, Dr. Sachin Gol first, as you know, the only interventional cardiologist here in the panel. So you just told us that you just came back from the cath lab where you did a procedure together with Dr. Mike Reardon. And this patient underwent chest catheter valve intervention. What, what was the reason that this patient underwent a, a TAVR procedure? Yeah, this patient uh, is 94 years old and has severe symptomatic aortic stenosis. He's had obviously other comorbidities, but you know, due to advanced age and comorbidities, you know, according to the guidelines, anybody over the age of 80, you know, as long as they're anatomically suitable for TAVR, should have TAVR. And therefore, after appropriate heart team discussion, we decided to offer TAVR. Uh, this patient was independent, uh, otherwise in good shape, active. Despite advanced age, the team felt that that uh, he would benefit from TAVR due to his symptomatic severe aortic stenosis. Yeah. Are, are you concerned if we talk about lifetime management in a 94-year-old? Is that, is that a concern? At the age of 94, you know, not really. But, you know, we obviously want to treat the, the patient appropriately and, you know, get him the best result uh, with the best valves that we think will offer him the best hemodynamic benefit. So lifetime management obviously is not a concern or much less of a concern for a patient in their 90s as opposed to some somebody in their 60s or, or late 60s or early 70s. So if you talk about patients in the 60s or 70s, would you then choose another procedure if you talk about lifetime management or would you still offer a type of procedure? So as you know, uh, you know, in the low-risk trials, the low-risk randomized trials in both trials, the mean age of the patients was 72 and 73, respectively. So patients less than 65 were, in fact, very few, uh, less than 6 or 7% in the randomized trials. So according to the guidelines, you know, according to the ACCHA guidelines, still patients less than 65 should still be considered for surgery as long as they are not high surgical risk candidates. Patients more than 80, you know, we tend to favor TAVR as long as anatomy is suitable. And patients in their age group of 65 to 80, we sort of base our decisions based on anatomy, you know, their physiologic risk, patient preferences, and so on. That's sort yeah. of the algorithm we follow in our in our heart team discussions. Great. So, Dr. Mike Reardon, of course, you work together in the heart team. And so when a patient shows up who is 65 or 70, that Dr. Sachin Gould just mentioned, but that patient says, I want to have a TAVR procedure. I read about this on the internet, you know, and a less invasive procedure sounds very attractive. What, what would you say to that patient? Well, you know, Peter, we see, Sasha and I see all the aortic valve patients, whether they're deemed for surgery or for transcatheter together, even the ones that are coming in 
in for surgery. And it's very common for us to have somebody that's 64, 65, who's been sent in by an outside cardiologist being told up front, you will get a tower. And then we often see them without any CT imaging. And one of the first things I have to tell them is, you know, before I do anything else, I need to look at your anatomy because there's some anatomies that just aren't appropriate for TAVR, which would be very appropriate for us. There are some annuses that are too big. There's going to be some people that have aortic disease that need to be replaced. There's people that have mitral valve regurgitation due to a P2 flail that we can fix easily. And there's people with significant coronary disease, which we didn't test. So I always tell people we have to look at it. Now, if we do all that, and we find that your anatomy is good for a TAVR that we can do in some way that doesn't cause us to transgress your chest, whether it be transfemoral or transcarotid, and they and we have a long talk with them, then the answer is, yeah, we'll do a TAVR on them. There have been people I've told them that they would be better with a surgical valve, but the TAVR wasn't dangerous. And we document that in chart and we move on. There's others that I've said, I will not do a TAVR on. Some of those will go shopping. That's fine with me. Most of them will say, if that's the truth, as long as you give them a good reason, we'll move ahead and operate on them. Right. So maybe to Dr. Brett Leschnauer. So the 64, 65-year-old that Mike Reardon just described, the patient is going, you know, you convince him that surgery might be the best option at this age. Are there special considerations if you think about aortic valve, surgical aortic valve replacement? There's a lot, Peter, of considerations that in the pre-TAVR era were not considered. We have to be better surgeons we have to put in bigger valves. So the conversation is key with the patient. If they want surgery in your conversation, if you're putting in a bioprosthetic valve, my conversation goes along the lines of, I want to give you one operation that allows space, should this valve ever deteriorate, that you could have one or two transcatheter valves so that you would never have to have your chest opened ever again. And when you frame your conversation like that with the patient, they understand and it's very appealing to them and it makes them understand. But you have to look at anatomy, I think, closer than ever before. I mean, most of these patients have a CT, which is very helpful in pre-case planning in terms of, all right, do I need to do an annual enlargement? Am I going to accept this as a threshold for a valve, be it a 25 as the lowest, smallest valve? Do I need to do a, an aortic root replacement? So the conversation, the surgical planning, it's much different, I'd say now than 10, 15 years ago. Right. I'm so, sure Mike with his experience could actually add to that. Yeah. Well, I tell you, Brad, we, we get a CT on everybody that, we're, that we know we're going to operate on. And, and one, things we do is we do an area-derived diameter of the annulus and pick a, a valus valve that has an inner diameter that matches that area. In fact, my minimum valve I'll put in a woman is 23. The minimum in a man is a 25. I've doubt Sashin's ever seen us bring anything less than a 23 in a woman, less than a 25 in a man. We do Y annuloplasty in 40% of the cases right now. TAVR has made us better surgeons because we've realized we have to do this if we really want to be competitive, number one. And number two, give our patients the best plan, not just for today, but for tomorrow. And in Mike, in, your, in the pre-TAVR era, I'm sure you're thinking about these cases as vastly different. Yeah, vastly different. I mean, I, I tell you, it's very interesting because when Marty Lee and I presented two low-risk cases together, we actually did an interesting discussion on the podium together and, and somebody asked him, surgery finally won hemodynamics and partner three. How did that happen? And Marty said, surgeons have learned to put in bigger valves. And the answer is true. Tavers made us better. But with the advent of the Y aneuplasty, that's taking it up another notch. Right. So surgeons say, uh, maybe to Brett again, so Surgeon said, you know, if you implant a biological valve in a 64, 65-year-old, how many do you see back? 
back. There are not that many. And is, is that a fair assessment that the surgical valves in a 64, 65-year-old will last their lifetime? Not in a healthy one who's going to live long enough, you know, because your, your, your mean age should give you another 20 years, you know, 21 years. A good number of those valves are going to wear out. I, I think the thing we need to bear in mind is that not all surgical valves are the same. Valve durability is a combination of valve design and tissue science. And not all surgical valves and not all TAVR valves are going to behave the same way. And so we wrote our first paper on early trifecta failures in 2017. Won't even use them anymore. I see so many failures. Sasha will tell you, we did one today. We did a TAVR and a trifecta today that had bad AI that had torn the commissure, as, as we've seen. I think we're going to see the same thing in TAVR. There's some unique design features of Evolute that's going to make it last longer than some of the other valves out there. So again, it's each valve will be individual. Yeah. But I do think if you're 65, you're only going to most likely get one procedure, not two. Right. But maybe Brett and then I come to suction again. So Brett, you know, the number of surgical valve redo procedures were not so common, actually. They're not that common. But I mean, I, Brad will tell you, we do redo surgery all the time, partly because even if they're not common, most surgeons in smaller institutions really don't want to do these. And so they come to Emory and they, they come to the Houston Methodist. And, and we say it's the same thing with TAVR explants. You know, they tend to get sent into the larger centers that already have large TAVR volumes. We're yeah. going to continue to see those though. And Peter, it's a, to your point, yeah, they're not that frequent that we see redo AVRs, but the ones we are operating them on now, a lot of them had small valves put in. Yeah. Not suitable for valve and valve TAVR. Right. Again, highlighting our previous statements yeah. of we're better surgeons, we're putting in bigger valves. Yeah. Or their anatomy is not suitable for a valve and valve taver. Yeah. I mean, some centers, including us, you know, we, we do, you know, these uh, complex basilica procedures to reduce the risk of coronary obstruction, but it's not as widespread. A lot of the centers don't have the experience or the expertise, it's still sort of a novel procedure. And so if, you know, if they have a, a small trifecta with a low coronary height, so these patients, you know, are, are still undergoing redo taver appropriately in those centers. Yeah. So Sushin, which patients do you refer to Mike Reardon that have a failing surgical or AVR? I said, well, a transcatheter valve in a surgical valve might not be the best option. Who are those patients? So we, again, we see patients together, Dr. Reardon and I, all of these patients are seen together. Typically the ones that we will recommend a redo AVR is really those small valves. If somebody is, you know, say 66 or 67 uh, or even 65 and has a small trifecta, say a 21 millimeter trifecta, you know, this is not a fracturable valve. Even if we put a supraannular valve, we may not get a very long-term durable result. In someone's like Dr. Reardon's hands, he would probably do a nice annular enlargement, put a nice big valve in there, and the patient will be ripe for a valve and valve taver in their, you know, mid to late 70s or early 80s, provided that patient has that type of life expectancy. So typically, I think the redos would be the small ones where we would struggle with a valve and valve taver or potentially very low coronaries or patients not suitable for basilica or coronary protection. So is, is the basilica procedure here to stay or do you hope or expect something else will come in the future. So I think it's here to stay. I know that, you know, the same group that developed the Basilica and, and some other groups are developing a dedicated device. So the Basilica is still, you know, a complex procedure for most people. There's a significant amount of technical expertise and challenge, frankly, you have to do as many cases to, to keep up with the skills. But I think there are dedicated devices for this that will probably make this procedure much simpler, more streamlined, and probably more widely applicable to not only the aortic valve, but also the mitral 
valve, for example, the Lampoons and TMVRs. So I think this is technologies here to stay. This will get better over the next several years and we'll, we'll see dedicated devices to be able to do Basilica safely. And we actually, Peter, learned Basilica from Emory. Right. Greenbaum. So it was Brad's partners that, that taught us this. Yeah. Like exactly. the first case he proctored for us was, uh, he was supposed to be here. I still remember this was, uh, I think, uh, March of 2020, second week of March, right after the pandemic was declared. He actually called me from the airport and that uh, he cannot travel. So he actually went back to his office and went over the procedure. And uh, we did this uh, with the teleproctoring and we did it successfully and actually published this. It was actually a lampoon, but you know, one of our first uh, electrosurgical procedures. Yeah. So patients who get a valve, either a tavern valve or surgical valve at the age of, let's say, 65, 70, of course, there is a chance that they may experience a valve failure. Who should follow those patients? Is it, will they come back every year at your clinic or is it somebody, would you tell them only when you are experiencing symptoms that you need to come back? Because now we have other options. In the past, there was surgery and when the patient got to the age of 80, 85 and had a lot of comorbidities, there was actually no other option. So how are you following those patients nowadays? So, you know, at our institution, typically in our valve clinic, we typically see them at 30 days and one year. So there are sort of two kinds of patients, patients that are sort of followed by, you know, our group, uh, you know, th those patients are, are still followed within our system, within our Methodist DeBakey system. And then there are, you know, uh, it's sort of an open system where there are, you know, private cardiologists. So, you know, some of these patients are sort of returned back to their primary cardiologists with the instructions that they need to be followed closely with a yearly echocardiogram. And if there's any concern with symptoms or change in the uh, gradients or, or aortic insufficiency over time, then they should be referred back to the valve clinic. So there are sort of two kinds of patient follow-ups depending on, you know, where they come from. But all of these patients virtually get a yearly echo and a yearly cardiology visit subsequently. Right. Yeah, That's exactly how we follow them as well at Emory. Same model. Okay. Yeah. So, Brett, there are patients, of course, who are the age of 50, 55 that need an AVR. TAVR might not be the best option in those patients. Would you recommend still a mechanical valve or a biological valve in those patients? You know, I have a discussion with them and I, I lay out the pros and cons and and let them choose. I think both a mechanical and a bioprosthetic valve are excellent options. Again, when we talk about putting a bioprosthetic valve in somebody that young, you're going to do any extra maneuvers during the procedure to get a 27 or 29 valve in with plenty of space for future tappers. And that may be a Y annular uh, enlargement procedure or actually a root replacement, which is what I usually lean to if I need to, especially in patients with small roots. Right. So Mike, the patient with a surgical AVR at the age of 50, 55, who gets a bioprosthetic heart valve, that patient may come back in 70 years. You know, if the valve lasts 15, 20 years, I think that would be great. Yeah. So what would you recommend then if the patient comes back at the age of 70? Well, again, it depends on what his anatomy is. You know, if he has a valve that's big enough for a tavern, coronary access, it's adequate and, you know, femoral access that's adequate or, you know, some other transcarotid access in their 70, and we'd probably put a tavern in them and just see how they do, because that's likely at 70. I think that when I look at certainly the Evolute, you know, the early data has got a little bit better durability than surgery. And I think it's going to attract the Carponti Edwards, which is one of the longer term good valves out there. And I think the chance of a 70-year-old valve wearing out in their lifetime is probably eight or 10%. That's a reasonable, reasonable odds to put a tavern valve in there. Right. Uh, Brett, do you agree? Yeah, I do actually agree. I think if there's room and at that age, given how they look, yeah. it's going to be most likely TAVR valve and valve. Yeah. Only if there's anatomic issues that preclude that will they probably undergo surgical redo AVR. Yeah. Thank you for listening. Be sure to subscribe at medtronic.com slash cardiac exchange to hear the next portion of this conversation and to find additional podcast content.